Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you guys so much for joining us here for another episode. Wherever in the world you're listening to us from, whatever platform you're listening to us on, as always, your support is so greatly appreciated. And thank you again for joining us for this episode. Today's episode is one that's kind of near and dear to me. It's one that I'm very passionate about because as a coach, we know that no matter what level you're at, you only have these players for a finite amount of time. And I know as coaches, we want to do the very best we can to maximize our players and get them to the highest possible level that they can possibly get to. And as we all know, freshmen turn into seniors and then they're out the door really, really quickly. And so we want to make sure that from that year that they step in as freshmen, to when they walk out the door as seniors, we've done everything we can to make them the best player possible. And we're going to talk about that in our episode today. We're going to talk about year-to-year player development and taking that player who comes in the door as a freshman and what we can develop and what we can work on with that player so that they're a little bit better their sophomore year, better their junior year, and then they're hitting the ground running senior year. So we're going to get into some, some tips, some tricks, some things that have worked with our guest in their journey of developing players year after year and talk a little bit about where his program and where his players been and how our coach has kind of gotten them to the point where they are right now. So really looking forward to this one and I'm looking forward to learning a lot as well. Uh, My guest today is the South St. Paul girls basketball coach and I'm very happy to be joined by coach Austin Junker. Coach, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing well and thank you for having me coach. Appreciate it. Yeah, this is this is like I said, something that I'm myself am looking to learn from. So I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on to share some of your insight and your experiences uh, with your program. So let's go ahead, coach, and get started with a little introduction to you. Where's the game of basketball taking you? Where is your coaching journey taking you? And what were the steps that kind of led you to South St. Paul? Sure. Uh, well, I grew up in Stillwater, Minnesota. Uh, played football, basketball, and baseball growing up. Uh, to keep things short, I would say that I was a decent athlete. Um, wouldn't say that I was a great athlete. Uh, when I graduated from high school, uh, kind of realized that my game when it came to basketball had a ceiling, uh, six, two forward that can't shoot, um, didn't have like a huge shelf life in college. So, uh, I immediately transitioned into coaching. And so from my freshman year of college on, um, until now I'm 31, uh, I've been coaching basketball ever since, uh, Went to the University of St. Thomas here in the Twin Cities, got my bachelor's in social studies, and then went and got my added uh, coaching and athletic administration master's. Um, All the while, I kind of worked my way up the ranks, started with freshman boys, um, did AU AU girls basketball, and then once I got hired teaching in South St. Paul, I became the varsity assistant for head coach at the time, Kristen Johnson, spent a couple years with her, and then transitioned over to the boys um, and worked for Coach Reed Siegling, and then had an opportunity to move to a different school for coaching uh, with a, a guy that actually was playing at the same time I was and um, was over there for a couple of years. And that was a great experience, had a ton of talent uh, on the boys' side, uh, 
Minnesota just in general is kind of having a re renaissance of talent. Uh, a lot of people that you guys see now, Jalen Suggs, uh, who obviously is now with the Orlando Magic. Um, yeah. And if you're thinking about uh, previous players, um, Chet Holmgren, who is right now going to be a freshman at Gonzaga. Uh, Mr. Basketball last year is incredibly talented. He's going to be an NBA player. So um, the guys that we were coaching were kind of at that level. Uh, Kendall Brown was a freshman and a sophomore the year that I were there. He's going to be probably a starting wing uh, for Baylor, who's coming off of a national championship. So wow. getting to be around that type of talent was really um, eye-opening for me. And if we're thinking about this discussion of player development, seeing how you know some of the top players in the country are developing and what they're focusing on and just what their regiment looks like, strength and conditioning, diet, that piece. It was a real eye-opener for me. And that, those are some things that I took with me when I got the head job at South St. Paul just a few years ago. Yeah, that's quite the experience to have and, and, and a lot that you can just take and kind of glean from, from being around or having experience working with players who or just at these really high levels, <laughs> you kind of see the game a lot differently. You really see, you know, how players come to their own, especially when they get to those highest levels. That That's awesome. Uh, Coach, something that, that I do know about uh, the program that you're currently at, as you mentioned to me off air, is that it is uh, the smallest school in your conference. And I know that that brings a lot of interesting situations and unique challenges uh, with that. So I wanted to ask, how have you kind of worked to overcome that limitation to still try and be as successful as you possibly can? Yeah, just to kind of give a little snapshot of South St. Paul, we're kind of a first-ring sub, first suburb of the Twin Cities. We've got two elementary schools and a secondary building that's 6 through 12, class size of about 250. In the state of Minnesota, we're a 3A basketball um, team, so we're just below the biggest uh, size class. And in South St. Paul, if you're not a multi-sport athlete, uh, you're kind of uh, an odd an odd character in, in our entire nine through 12 group, we've got one girl that's basketball only. Um, we've only got three girls that aren't a three sport athlete uh, mm -hmm. currently. So, you know, you're splitting time with, you know, multiple sports, multiple coaches. And, and we didn't have a, a culture of AU players. Uh, we had two girls in our program playing AU when I took the job. Uh, and for us looking at our conference and knowing that we're the smallest school, the way that we've kind of gone about becoming more competitive is kind of looking for ways to create something that's unique and create a shared vision that is unlike anything that anybody else does in our conference. Um, that style of play, that's kind of the way we approach things in practice. It's kind of the way that we market and kind of advertise who we are. Um, we just want to be kind of zigging while everybody else zags and making something that's completely unique to everyone else. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting in, in my somewhat limited experience uh, as somebody who's grown up in, in major metropolitan areas and gone to and uh, even worked at relatively big high schools. I think one of the really interesting things that I've always noticed when I go to either smaller areas or smaller schools is the culture and just almost like that family environment that that gets built because I think it is like so smaller and everybody kind of knows each other and there's kind of like this this identity I, I feel like that kind of gets um, created even if it's in the town or in the school itself this this kind of family environment that you can really build at a smaller school versus like a school of, of like two thousand where I feel like that's just a little bit more of a challenge. 
I would 100% agree. Uh, that's something that is very much in the DNA of South St. Paul. A lot of families that their parents have went here, their alumni, parents of parents. Uh, we've got a lot of, you know, athletes that are related. Our, our starting powered forward last year was cousins with our starting small forward. They're uh, their younger sister was uh, coming off the bench for us as a freshman two years ago. And uh, there's just a lot of connections. It's very tight knit. Uh, and it, even though we're right there next to Minneapolis and St. Paul, you kind of feel like you went back in a time capsule and <laughs> everybody's walking around and a lot of people know each other. And it's, it's tough to kind of fly under the radar if, if you've been around because everybody knows everybody. <laughs> well, and, and I feel like that's even more maximized if you're, you know, like, like a teacher there too. It's like, then you really can't escape. Like you're, you're, you're with me. Like, and there's, if you teach at a school that's really small like that, then it's like, you're, you're not going to really even really be able to avoid me in class either, depending on the content that you teach. Like you're, you're going to see me, you can't escape me in the big labyrinth of a huge high school sort of thing. Uh, I'm lucky that my wife won't let me live inside the district lines just to avoid that like constant <laughs> overlap. Mm -hmm. uh, but it definitely does exist. Yeah. Um, you know, it, just to kind of finish up answering your question, you, know, you think about the limitations of kind of being a smaller school. Um, you know, our biggest thing that we've kind of been playing catch up on is that when I got the job, there wasn't an identity. And mm -hmm. so over these first three years, it's been trying to build that out and, you know, building out what an identity is for our, our basketball team, our basketball program, but, you know, position by position, player by player, like what is their identity? Because for a lot of these girls, if they're not getting it with us, they're not getting it anywhere else because 100% of the basketball they play is on our floor. Uh, it's not AAU, it's not for various, you know, organizations, it's not camps, it's not uh, with a personal trainer. We're responsible for whatever their identity becomes as a basketball player. So it's a lot of responsibility, but it also is something that's nice because there's no code switching. There's no confusion. Yeah, I just to wrap up my, my, my thought on that as well, is that is one of the more interesting things about working with players who have trainers who work in AAU come through a lot of different programs. Like you said, the terminology, the language, uh, sometimes you're doing so much more reteaching or, or re-explaining of language because they, they, they don't know, you know, what you're referring to something as because they have a different term for it or they've heard it explained differently by somebody else. So no, that, that that's a really good point. Um, something I hadn't, hadn't really thought of until I, I came into that situation where things that made sense to me all of a sudden like other players didn't really know what I was saying so yeah I 100% agree with you on that and uh, speaking of a player identity when a player knows their identity it's a lot easier hopefully to develop that player which is a somewhat natural segue now to my first question as we talk about the topic of that year-to-year -year player development uh, coach let's kind of talk about uh, the first moments here when you're coming into the program and, and and what you and your staff did to identify the areas that players needed to develop and what stood out to you right away. And I know you kind of identified the uh, lack of identity piece. So so what were some areas you identified right away as, as needing to develop and, and what were some initial observations that both you and your staff made? Um. To give a small anecdote, when I got the job, uh, I I'd obviously been working in the building for years, uh, and the head coach at the time had given me the grace of letting me know ahead of the season finishing that she was going to be resigning and was going to be moving on. And 
kind of said, like, if I was interested in taking the job, uh, here's some resources, here's our film, if you wanted to take a look at it. And it ended up happening that a couple of weeks later, we had a, a polar vortex in Minnesota. That's one of the wonders of living in this state is uh, yep. weather is, uh, is interesting in, in basketball season. So I didn't get to go to work for uh, four days straight because of weather. And now hindsight, looking at what we've lived through over the last 18 months, staying home for four days is kind of a, a walk in the park. But at the time, you know, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities for teaching online and Zoom classes like we would now, but I just got to sit home and watch as much film on the roster as, as I wanted. And so it, there were some things that really stuck out and it ended in comparison to where the game is going, I just looked and said, we're lacking the skills of modern basketball. Uh, we lacked shooting. Uh, we lacked a, kind of that dynamic kind of switchability that didn't exist. And one of the biggest things was, is just watching our girls on film. Like you could tell that they just weren't processing the game fast enough and didn't really know what the reads were, or what they were looking for. They didn't recognize certain things, uh, whether it was offense or defense. And it was just like, these girls haven't played enough basketball yet. And they, I don't know if they know what basketball they're trying to play. Huh. And so th that, that's, that's really interesting. I, I feel like then, and then I'll let you uh, kind of add a further explanation to it. it. It's almost like you're teaching the game of basketball, like in, in a certain way, like in, in a way you're, not necessarily working maybe on, on, on the skills or things of that nature um, solely. You're actually working on like, this is how the game of basketball is played. This is like how we actually do it. Like, yes, obviously you're trying to put the ball in the basket, but there's sounds like there's a lot more real foundational work about just the art of playing basketball that had to happen initially. Am I, am I right in thinking that? Absolutely. Uh, one example that I would just say is, uh, spacing. If, if you're ever listening to Steve Kerr talking on the sideline, he often says like spacing is offense and offense is spacing. And, and there was a lot of times looking on film that girls would get bottlenecked and they would, they would push a ball into a, a, a single gap and they turn it over because they brought the ball right into the defender. And, mm -hmm. you know, those types of mistakes, if you haven't uh, explained it, if you haven't put a name on it and say like, actually, we're trying to look for double gaps and here's how you create those. And that's when you can attack the basket. Like they, they're going to keep making those mistakes because they don't know anything different. And, and, and just as a follow-up to that, I'm, I'm curious, is always curious about the, the ways that, that people have the, these interactions with their players and having conversations with uh, teenagers is always uh, interesting experience usually it can be very positive but sometimes it's it could be a little tricky uh, when you're having when you did have excuse me those conversations with your players how did you word those conversations in a way that didn't sound like hey you guys don't know anything about basketball I need to build you up completely how did you kind of frame it in a way that that didn't maybe necessarily uh, put them down or make them feel like uh, they were absolutely like helpless or anything like that. I, I'm really curious about how, how you navigate a conversation like that and keep it positive. I think it starts with uh, focusing on their strengths and looking at what your roster has and then saying, 
because you are good at X and because you are good at Y, maybe it's your good shooter, maybe it's your, you're a great athlete and, and we think that you can put the ball on the deck and get to the basket for us. Maybe it's, you know, you're posting up and you're, you're kind of putting yourself in the center of the lane. And if you stay there, we're never going to be able to occupy your defender by dribbling, you know, into the paint to get you some easy buckets. And so, you know, it's talking about, you know, we're doing this because we want to flush out what strengths you do have. And so for, uh, for our, our starting point guard, who's a senior this year, thinking about watching her on film as a freshman, thinking about what we're teaching her that summer going into her sophomore year, it was, you can't put the ball into a single gap because you're going to, you're going to drive right into a fender, but if you wait for somebody to cut through and you're patient, uh, and then you can go into that double gap, well, you know, you're, you're the anchor of our hundred meter relay for girls track. Like there's very few girls that are going to stay in front of you if you get two good steps. And because you can do that, you can create opportunities for everybody else that's on the floor, whether that's driving and kicking, it's a dump down to, you know, our post who's in like a, a traditional dunker spot um, and just selling to them on what are the things that they're going to be able to do if they make these adjustments. And I think that that takes a certain type of attitude as a coach that you have to go in, because I, I know it can be very easy to get overwhelmed and get caught up in all the things you don't have and all of the things that you have to work on. And, and I, I know I've been in situations where like, oh, how am I going to, you know, get all this done? And we have so much ground we have to make up, but like it, it takes a, a mentality of like, hey, there are strengths here. Hey, there are positives here. Yeah, there's a lot we got to work on, but here are all the things that we can do, no matter how like few they may seem. And there's something that that we can work with. And that definitely sounds like that was an attitude that that you tried to keep and, and, and build off of when you first got there. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, maybe it's because I just have that uh, growth mindset mentality. Very I'm a glass is half full sir. type of person. Uh, that's very much how I am in the classroom. So um, you kind of have to have that mentality and it's it's a process, right? You have to meet players where they're at and you can't wish that you had a different group of players like we we're not recruiting um, at least not in the state of minnesota for public education you know public institutions that's not really on the table for us uh despite what you might see on social media um so you got to work with the the players that you have yeah absolutely uh really good mindset to have for sure so as we kind of continue with, with with this journey my, my question is you know, in your experience, what is the most consistent way you found to, to get players better? What have you found that works best? I suppose intertwined with that question is going to kind of be now your experience as you moved with that group from year, run, uh, year one onward. Uh, what did you find and, and what have you found has been like the most consistent way to kind of get players progressing from year to year? Well, I mentioned uh, earlier, you know, the idea of creating like a shared vision, creating an identity. Um, one coach that's been a huge inspiration to me is Mike Neighbors, who's the head women's coach at Arkansas. Um, he was just here on Friday for our state coaches clinic, which was awesome to finally just see him in person, but been following him for years and, um, his mentality, trying to find a way to win in, in a competitive section, um, or a competitive conference like the SEC, mm -hmm. uh, he kind of gave me a blueprint for what we kind of want to do here and uh, for us it's kind of prioritizing what's important to us and 
you know, you kind of said, like, if you're thinking about all the things we might be deficient in, and if we try and attack them all, we're never going to be good at, at any of them. Uh, so for us, it was kind of deciding what are we going to be committed to being great at and, and kind of honing in on those skills. Um, and knowing our style of play, knowing the positions that we have, you know, we have some unconventional names for our four positions. Uh, the traditional point guard would be uh, a rabbit. Uh, if you're kind of a three and D wing, you'd be called a lock. If you're a post, you'd be called a dunker, which is not something, you know, out of the ordinary. But and then if you're kind of our stretch four, you, you're a dragon. And so we've kind of defined and we've kind of uh, qualitatively created the the fingerprint of what each of those positions are and the skills that go along with it. So that if you're a freshman and you're looking at where do you fit in on the floor, you can, you can ask any of our girls and they'll tell you if they're a locker, they're a dragon. And if you're asking them like, what are they working on or what kind of goes along with that skill set, they can tell you. Um, so kind of creating that very unique identity and then really focusing on the skills that we need to be great at in order to fill those positions and, and fill into our system. Right, right. When you said uh, a dragon, I was like, oh, I, I, I definitely remember it wasn't a clinic, but I was like, OK, yes, Mike Neighbors. Absolutely. I, I, all the terminologies that he has, which actually goes back to what you said earlier, how it's, it's awesome now that your players really only got only work with you. So uh, they don't have to go to a different coach or AAU coach. Be like, wait, coach, what about about the dragon? <laughs> yeah, and, and it's a uh, it's a blessing in, in some ways because it. You know, you can be standing on a floor and you might be playing against a, a group that, and, a, and a coach that knows a ton about the game and might be significantly more skilled. But it sounds like we're talking a different language and, you know, they're playing uh, one game and we're playing another when they're hearing terms like rabbit and dragon. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's a fun thing that I think kind of helps with that branding piece of making us different. Yeah, for sure. You know, you hear that terminology like, oh, like a dragon. It's like, oh, well, I know that must be talking about South St. Paul if you're using those sort of words or terminology. So, yeah, yeah, that's a real cool way that, that, that you put that. Um, you mentioned how and, and, and we, we both talked about how you can't really like be good at everything. If you try to attack everything, you're not going to really improve the way you want. You'll be spreading yourself too thin. So just to kind of go a little bit further in that question, as you were as you were working with your program and working on your player development, what were maybe some things that you were like, okay, we're going to, you know, we'll really focus on this, but what were also some things that you're just like, you know what, this isn't who we are, or this isn't where our skill set is, and we have to kind of let that go. Because I think the hardest thing for coaches sometimes is to, in a sense, kind of let things go or not prioritize things and, and live with it. So I'm curious what you found were like the, you know, obviously you had some things you emphasized, but what were also some of the things where like, you know what, this, this isn't what we're about. We're not going to emphasize this as much, or this isn't something we're ready for yet. You kind of have to pick and choose your battles. And I think looking at the first two years, especially, and mm -hmm. yeah, I'd say first one and a half years, just knowing what COVID and <laughs> uh, we can all kind of share notes on our experiences, but I can tell you that our off season for COVID was playing on blacktop in an elementary school. That was what we were allotted to for gym time. Uh, we weren't allowed inside of our gym until, uh, well, I'd say mid-November of, of 2020 uh, from when we got shut down in spring of 2020. So um, not being able to get back in our gym was, was a challenge and we made the best of it. But um, kind of just knowing what those first two years were like, the biggest deficiency that we had is we couldn't score. Uh, we couldn't put 
the ball in the bucket. And so our biggest priority was building our competency in shooting, figuring out how we were going to get to the basket, finishing with contact and, and making our free throws. Uh, you know, historically we're talking, you know, game scores in, in the upper forties. And if you're thinking about what we're trying to target this year, you know, we're trying to get into the upper sixties and low seventies with the style of play and pace that we're trying to accomplish. And uh, you can't do that unless you're just grinding it out and committing to building up that piece. And so in, in the review mirror, it meant that kind of, we had to shelf some of the things that, you know, we're trying to instill defensively and it's not like we don't work on defense, but you only have so many hours in the day. And if we're thinking about allocation of time, it was, it was on that side for sure. Yeah. That's to me always that, that like battle of like, okay, what are we going to, what are we going to emphasize? What are we not going to emphasize? But, but you're right. Like if we're, if we can't score, well, we're not going to be winning games two nothing, right? <laughs> if we can't score, we we gotta we gotta work on that. And I think that it's really hard sometimes to think that you know why, how come we're not doing all these things, or how come you know we're we're not you know good, or or we're not doing everything we need to on the court. I think sometimes as a coach, it's hard to like step back and be like, you know what, this isn't something I really emphasized as much, so I can't get too upset if there's certain things, you know, lacking on the defensive end or certain things that aren't refined. And I think that goes back to the conversation we had earlier of like focusing on the positives and focusing on the strengths and focusing on what they're doing well with the things you emphasized. And and I have a feeling that that, that might be something that, that you have been able to do with your program is, is kind of emphasize what they're doing well along with the things that you've identified as like things you need to work on. Uh, you, you can let me know if I'm right or wrong in that line of thinking. If you ask my players, I would hope they would agree with you. <laughs> um, that's been the, the attempt. Uh, I think we've tried really hard to make that a reality. Um, and it, it all comes to you building up your players and that's that's that can be looked as purely in a basketball sense and skill, but it's also building up who they are and, um, I know that you're, I know that you're an educator. I know that you've been around, you know, this demographic of, of young men and young women. And it's one of those things where you know, building them up mentally into a place where they can be comfortable and confident and, and sure of certainties, um, is, is incredibly important. It's almost at, or more important than the actual skills themselves, um, that they believe in themselves, they believe in what they're doing and, and believe that they're capable of it. Um, there are plenty of incredibly talented individuals that doubt themselves. And, and because of that, they're their own, they're their own handicap. They're, the, they're their own worst enemy at times. And so for us, it's building up the co confidence in each individual player that, you know, you might not have to be our star you know, star point guard, you might not have to be our star rabbit, but you have an important role. And here's the skills that we have to continue to build because that's how you help us become a winning program. And that's just a really good point in, in general about the, the mental work that you do. I mean, that goes with player development and, and, and feel free to speak on this if, if you want, kind of like the mental and emotional development of players, because I'm just thinking of shooting because that was something that you mentioned, you know, I can get my girls, you know, on the gun and we can, you know, do a lot of work with shooting and, and, and form shooting, catching the ball off the dribble, you know, getting hundreds of shots up. But if 
my player is going to mentally fold if they miss a shot because I haven't built them up or built their confidence in and they're done after they miss a shot and they're not going to take any shots anymore. They're going to completely forget their form or do something completely different. All of the physical skills I've built aren't going to be as useful as well. So I, I really feel that that emotional and mental development um, it, it seems to be just as important so that they feel confident enough to, to do all the, the physical skills that you've worked on. Well, to that point, I think one of the biggest items that I didn't realize was such a necessity was so important is I had to convince a, a lot of our players that I didn't care if they missed. Uh, it, it, That's hard. <laughs> something that you have to, you know, you know, over time, like shot after shot, like miss after miss just convince them that it doesn't matter to me if the shot goes in or not, but in our, in our offense, like in a game, like we need you to take those shots. We, we rep them, you know, we practice them day in and day out. You talk about repetition. That's, that's incredibly important. But if you're not confident enough to, to take the shot and, and not worry about the result, uh, then you're not going to be able to perform at your best. And uh, the, you know, one of the things that kind of existed from previous coaches and, and, and previous experiences is girls were afraid to miss. And, and we, we had to kind of break that mold. And so it's just one of those things that uh, you kind of have to let them know that you're going to love them, whether the shot goes in or whether it doesn't. And it's not about that at the end of the day. Uh, but if we keep working at it and you know that I believe in you and I want you to take that shot and I don't care if the shot goes in or if it misses, and then we can live with the result together and we're in this together. Yeah, 100% agree. I, I couldn't word that any better. As long as they know that, yeah, you may have missed a shot, but hey, you're going to take the next one and I expect you to feel confident and believe in yourself to knock it down because I believe in you to knock it down. Uh, that, that's awesome if, if that mentality and culture can be built. Um, player development, I, I know coaches, we, we all like our tangibles. We all like our, our measurables. We like things that we can uh, look at a piece of paper from, from game to game or year to year and see improvement numbers are sometimes our best friends. So uh, how do you go about measuring player development? Are, are, are there certain benchmarks or certain things that you use to determine if a player is developing the way you hope? How much of it is kind of off the eye test? What, what is you and your staff's kind of uh, determination of, of if a player is developing or not? It's a mix we try really hard to figure out what are the things that we can actually quantify and what are the things that are going to have to be more qualitative. And, you know, to give you a couple examples, whether we're off season versus in season, one of the things that we had this summer that was really helpful for us is we had what we were called shooting licenses. Uh, the idea being is that each girl got kind of a laminated card with their, their yearbook photo on it, which, uh, if you're a teenager, everybody hates their yearbook photo. So one, it, I enjoyed cause it makes them feel uncomfortable a little bit, but it had a little QR code on it that was tied to a, a Google form. And every day when we'd come in and we'd get our quantified, you know, shots, whether it was set shooting, if it's on the move, footworks, working around pads or cones, uh, we tell them exactly how many shots we were logging for the day. They would track them uh, after the shooting workout, they'd punch them in. And we just use that as a place to track growth. And for a lot of our girls, it's the same spots. It's the same shots that we're expecting them to get in a game. And you know, I wouldn't say that we have benchmarks, uh, cause I might say, Hey, I'd love for you to shoot 45% on, you know, 
you know, let's say uh, li lifting up from uh, the uh, lifting up from the corner. I'd love you to shoot 45% on those when we lift, but if, if nobody does that, well, then the benchmark's kind of worthless. So for us, it's all about just tracking growth. Um, and that's one way we've been able to do it that's relatively cheap as far as an investment of resources. One of the things that we do during the season is uh, something called the competitive cauldron, which was a practice done by Anson Dorson um, from UNC Soccer. And so for us during the season, if we're in a, any type of practice where we're playing against each other, we're tracking it and we're deciding and we're we're deciding the outcomes by a score who's winning and who's losing. And so over the course of an entire season, you're going to find out who comes and who brings it every day and who's willing to compete. And those are usually the girls that we want to have on the floor when it's crunch time. So, you know, last year, our top point guard, who's, you know, a going to be a three-year starter, you know, she won about 60% of her, her games, whether that's one V one, two V two into five V five, you know, whether you're doing small sided games, yeah, she was somebody that was really close to the top. And it's, it's not a coincidence that she's also the same girl we want to have in crunch time. Cause she's a gamer. Was that something that was difficult for you to develop or bring out that, that, that culture of, of competitiveness or, or bringing that out in players? Did you find that your players were, ready to go and ready to compete and you didn't have to do a lot with that or or did you have to do anything to even develop that competitiveness in them because I think that having players who are willing to compete with each other I think is one of the best ways to to kind of get them development and get them growing because they're, they're working hard they're competing but I'm just curious if that was something you thought that that was already there or did you have to build some things to kind of create that competitive environment the DNA of, of this group in particular leans more towards the competitive side, uh, mm. you know, being multi-sport athletes sure. uh, and, and just being in a lot of different arenas. Uh, they're not the workout warriors that you might see uh, on, on, on Twitter or on Instagram. Uh, they come and like, they love to play. So anything that's as game-like as possible, they just absolutely ate with a spoon. Um, and so for us transitioning into this, uh, I, you know, that first year, a lot of our practices where we kind of looked at it and said, you know, maybe we should go a little bit lighter today. Let's just do some shooting. Let's do some drill work. Those were the flattest and worst practices that we had all year. But if we cranked up, uh, you know, the dial and we wanted to compete, if we made the girls press in some small sided games, or if, if we just like threw the ball up and said, Hey, you know, we're going to play to score X team is down by seven. You got to try and get you know catch up and and close the distance like, those are our best practices and hmm. so we kind of leaned into that piece knowing that maybe we're not going to be as as developed skill wise but if we can just compete you know we can keep ourselves in games just by kind of that force of will and you know some games it kept us in it and other games uh you know it wasn't enough but it was something that we knew we had and we could kind of build on that looking at our strengths right and yeah and that's something that has kind of carried over these last three years and i think that that's that's a real cool point that you mentioned of just like the idea if you have like multi-sport athletes or you have players who are you know you used to competing in those different areas like they know what it's like right they know what it's like to be an athlete they know what it's like to be a competitor and i i think that 
something I maybe was was worried about when I was younger as a coach was worried about like oh if they're going to compete against each other you know they're they're going to get upset at each other they're they're not going to like each other they're going to learn to like dislike each other or something like that but I found that that wasn't the case at all and and maybe that kind of held me back when I when I was younger coaching but I think as you kind of mentioned you know kind of comes down to the uh, the positivity and emphasizing the positives and emphasizing the confidence in your players so that you know, competitive doesn't mean like they're at each other's throats sort of thing. It sounds like that that was something that you definitely uh, kind of have built over the past few years. Well, and depending on the group, uh, it, there's always going to be a dynamic that mm-hmm. uh, you have to feel to have to feel out first before you if you realize that if it's a positive or a negative. And for this group, you know, we're blessed that our girls love being around each other. They love pushing each other. And you know, not every day we're, you know, completely going to war, but, <laughs> you know, we could have those days where we competed really hard and it was, it was tense, but as soon as the practice was over, they're going over to each other's houses and they're hanging out and they're spending hours in our team room because they don't want to go home. And uh, you can't fabricate that. And that's something that I can't coach you, 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 I can't force you to like the person next to you, but if you do, it makes those moments a lot easier. If, we, if we're putting ourselves in the trenches against each other and we're saying that by doing this, we're going to make each other better. And when you walk off that floor, there's no hard feelings. That's not always the case, but we're just lucky that that's not a problem that we have to worry about. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, and like you said, kind of take a temperature of the room, take a temperature of the team. And, e- and, and even if it is an environment that's going to be like really tense or, or really potentially explosive, that might be a good sign as a coach. Like, okay, we might have to work on a little bit more team building and a little bit more of uh, some other things in order to create an environment that isn't as tense if we have to be really competitive at practice. So it's a good little uh, test there to see if your, your team culture is, is where you want it to be for sure. Um, curveball question here because this just came came to mind. So I'm going to kind of throw in this one at you here. When it comes to uh, developing those players year after year, I guess you can break this down into percentages if you want. How much of their development is are things that maybe they identify or, or they personally want to work on versus things that maybe like you and your staff are like, hey, this is what we got to work on or this is this is what we need to work on for you. How much input, maybe if any, do your players kind of have in, in, in their own development or the things that they want to work on? I believe that has to be a, a continuous open conversation that mm. is never – it has to be fluid. Yeah. Um, you just kind of thinking about our roster. One of the things that I really committed to when we came in is I, I wanted to get to know every player uh, as a basketball player and a person. And I wanted to make sure that they knew that I knew who they were as a basketball player and person as well as anybody. Uh, and that's something that is also something that can't be faked. It's just a, about being intentional and being invested in your team. And uh, that's, you know, texting on a daily basis. Uh, you know, I'd say that every week, yeah, I spend at least, you know, a couple hours uh, throughout the week making sure that I'm kind of touching base with each of my players and just checking in. And that might not have anything to do with basketball, but it's getting to know who they are and kind of what their goals are and what they want out of this experience. And then figuring out how they see themselves as a player and then having that conversation of, 
knowing what you want, knowing what your goals are, knowing how you see yourself. If we put those together. Here's how I think that we can create this, this role for you on our team. And here's what we have to work on for you to maximize that role. And if they don't, if they don't like the sound of that, that's okay. But at least we're having the conversation. And, and if they're saying, actually, well, I want something completely different, then well, then we have to talk about what do we have to do or modify in order to get to that reality for them. And sometimes they're not going to ever make it because uh, of their own limitations or what we have as far as roster construction. I mean, there's a lot of variables that come into play, but that has to be a conversation that's 100% between myself and, and that player. And I, I can't have an authentic conversation if I haven't completely put in the work to, sure. to know who they are. Yeah. And I, I think, as you mentioned before, like having those open lines of communication, consistently being in touch with them and, and, and working with them. I, I also feel like, and you can probably obviously explain and, and attest to this, is those conversations are a lot easier to have and they're a lot more manageable to have if you've already like built that trust and built that like genuine relationship with that player where you're probably able to say things with a lot more honesty and a lot more clarity. And like you said, you've done your homework, you've done your your own personal research on it and your players trust what you're going to say um, versus if you're in a situation where maybe you hadn't been, you know, keeping up with them or, or talking or checking in with them as much. Yeah. Uh, great example for, you know, this group that's coming through that we have, uh, you know, one of our sophomore, you know, point guards, rabbits, um, is, is incredibly long. She's incredibly athletic. She was on our, uh, 100 meter conference relay team, incredibly athletic, uh, and kind of looking at where she's at this year. If we're thinking about how our roster fits together, I, went to her this fall and said, if we're thinking about where you make the biggest impact and how do we use your skills to create an advantage for us as a team? Well, you're going to have to be a dunker. And I know that next year, you're probably going to be our starting point guard. You're going to be our starting rabbit. But with the group that we have right now, us putting you in that dunker spot and how we can use you creates a huge mismatch for a lot of the teams that we're going to play. And that's how we make you incredibly valuable this year instead of making you be a backup and, and losing experience yeah. in minutes. But that doesn't mean that we're going to stop your skill progression. Like every day we're building your ball handling. You're, you're getting reps at, at, at multiple positions because at the end of the day, the rock's going to be in your hands and, and you're going to have to be that point guard that's going to make decisions. It's just, that's not your time yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and as you mentioned that, that is a really good example because I've seen those conversations kind of go one one of two ways, and and when they go well, I think they're the most awesome and really growth mindset you know type conversations. When they don't go well, I've seen them uh, go go downhill real quick, so to speak. So I'm glad that those are definitely positive experiences that you've had for sure. So now that you've been with this group for a few years, been with the program for a while. If you had to kind of look back on the last few years and kind of see, you know, what you've done to work with your players to get to them where to get them to the point where they are now and kind of think about what that journey has been like, what advice would you give to yourself if you went back in time? Is there anything that you would change and what would be some things you would definitely want to like keep the same? Starting with things that would keep the same, um, I guess it's not um, 
not apologizing for being completely invested in, in players. Uh, we, not every coach and player relationship has, has worked out perfect and it isn't always how I want it to be, but, um, you know, thinking back to last November, right before Thanksgiving break, we're, you know, two weeks away from our delayed start to the season. And the governor of Minnesota comes on TV and says that public schools are shutting down and, you know, everything's going to get put on the table. And we had no idea if we were going to get our season back. And just kind of knowing that uh, we had one, one more team shoot around one more team meeting and kind of just aired out that we don't know if we're going to have our season. And at the end of the day, that doesn't matter to me. I'm just going to miss the opportunity to be around you as individuals. Cause you know, I just love spending that time with you because of who you are. And it kind of just gave us that moment to just pause and be grateful for what we had. And I got a lot of emails and a lot of texts, you know, in the following days and just around our program, sharing the things that we're appreciative of. And none of it had to do with me helping them with their jump shot. Like none of it had anything to do with them talking about their points production from year one to year two. Like it was just about like what, uh, what environment we had created that made people want to be a part of basketball. And so that's the thing that I wouldn't change. I can tell you that if we're thinking about the things that I would change, it was just being a little bit more confident as a first time head coach and being a little bit firmer on the things that were important to me that you had alluded to some of the things that um, maybe you felt a little bit insecure about when, when you took over the job or with, players uh, earlier on in your coaching career. And I think that we're all guilty of that because we haven't been in that situation yet and you don't want to make mistakes. Uh, It's just being firmer on who I believed I I was and what I wanted for the program and and kind of not wavering because of outcomes or because of input that maybe was, was pushing me in different directions, just staying true to who I thought I should be and what we should do with the program. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of that's kind of tricky, right? It's kind of it's kind of funny to uh, try and think like, oh, why why weren't you just more confident? Why weren't you just more confident when when you first started? But it's almost like along with the player development piece, right? Like as coaches, we have to go through our own development cycle with with our with ourselves and and know that we also grew as coaches and you know, some of the things about being more confident and, and wanting to be that way when we first started, it was like, ah, but we had to kind of go for our own journey, right? In order to get that level of confidence that we can look back on and be like, oh, wow, I could have just done this a few years ago because now, you know, looking back on it right now, I have all the confidence to do what I want to do. And, you know, I only got that way because of the experience I had growing myself as a coach. And that, that's, it has to be an organic process. And uh, just with what you're doing with, with the podcast and who you've had on as far as guests, uh, I was listening to one of those, uh, one from just recently, a couple of days ago, um, about uh, kind of building a program without, without a history of tradition. And, you know, I've got 13 different basketball podcasts on my Spotify <laughs> feed, and, and we're all just looking for those little things that we can take with us. I mean, there's a sea of information and, you know, opportunities for, for finding things. You can't, you can't take it all in, but you're just looking for all these little things that can kind of help you and find find things that are true to you that you can take Mm -hmm. with you and so 
Um, I really appreciate what, what you're doing with, with your piece and sharing. Um, you know, the one thing that has made me a better coach this off season that I'd highly recommend is if, if people have not read the book, Thinking in Bets, uh, by Annie Duke, um, kind of talking to that point of, of being firm and being true in what you believe. Uh, it's a great book. Uh, and it, it definitely changed me as far as my process and, and decision-making in a really powerful way. All right. I'm going to have to put that on the, uh, on the old wish list now. Hey, and I know, and, and, and I know tryouts start tomorrow for you. So I would say, get the audio book. The audio book is good. You, you know, mm. if you're, if you're on a time crunch, that might be the route to go. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Uh, I, I feel, I'd, I'd feel remiss if I didn't, uh, kind of at least mention here before as we start to wind down the concluding segment about where that where you're hoping this is all leading to you know we kind of got to this topic of player to player development because of the uh hopes here that that you have for this this coming season so this is going to be kind of like the cliffhanger here but thinking now about the year to year development the things that you've worked on with your players what are we what are we looking at for this coming year coach i i already know the answer because you told it to me but what what is your hopes what are your goals what are your aspirations as things maybe are starting to come in place and come together in this upcoming hopefully normal basketball coaching year what what is your outlook and and kind of hope for how things uh shake out for you i guess besides you know obviously winning every game and going undefeated <laughs> <laughs> well everyone's undefeated right now so mm-hmm. i can you know that's I, i'm gonna enjoy it while it lasts but um i think for us it's kind of um coming into that full fully developed version of of what we started as three years ago um I think we, we we have partially gotten there in 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 various like iterations that first year, second year, even in summer league this year. You know, we're moving closer and closer to how I had things in my head when we started this journey three years ago. And what that looks like is um, you know playing a brand of basketball that is is fun. It's definitely fast paced and aggressive. Uh, you know, kind of our mentality is, and you know, we're trying to break some records. We're trying to break. Um, stereotypes and how we're seen in the realm of basketball in our conference and section and state. And, you know, we want people to look at the paper, you know, the next day and be like, how did South St. Paul do that? And ask the, start asking some of those questions. And so that's been a huge motivation for our group and, you know, kind of proving people wrong and um, all the while staying focused on the process of, you know, kind of getting better incrementally day after day in those various positions, in those various schemes and, and in that the system that we're building, um, we can't lose sight of that process because that's what's going to get us to the outcomes that we desire. But if we skip ahead and we're just focusing on those outcomes, we're going to miss a lot uh, along yeah. the way. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good point. I think actually – that is a uh, something I think I may have gotten from uh, Coach Neighbors' uh, interview I listened to. As he talked about like goals versus standards, I think it was. And yeah. That if you just have goals, you're just trying to hit this benchmark, and if you do hit it, you're like already feel good that you've already accomplished that, and you might just let your foot off the gas. Whereas if you have standards, it's something you can always hold yourself to, and it isn't tied to any one particular like tangible outcome or anything i'm almost positive that came from him yeah uh uh burn your goals by joshua metcalf is is the book that he refers to and it was with his washington washington team so you can kind of tell him 
I'm a kind of a Mike Neighbors disciple, but um, hey, yeah. You start using that dragon terminology. <laughs> I, I know you're all in. So, I, no. I drank the Kool Aid a long time ago, uh, but uh, I, I I haven't told the girls what, any of my goals this year. What my hopes are, I just know that we can we can be better and we can do some things that South St. Paul hasn't done in historically, you know, the past decade. And mm -hmm. um, I don't know what the finished product of that looks like is, but you know. You know, we're kind of coming in day after day trying to get there. It's you just don't know what what it's going to take or when's what's that what's going to be that little extra that gets us there. And that's why you just got to kind of kind of keep grinding. Now, I don't know if I can fully say and you know, drink the Kool-Aid, but I can say as somebody who's talked to a lot of coaches, listened to a lot of coaches, if I can still remember that from him specifically, that means something's stuck. So <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm locked in at least on that piece for sure. Uh, I'm going to have to ask before we hit our, our concluding statement, because I'm fascinated about this. Um, you mentioned this to me when we had an exchange off air that, that you are running Grinnell. Mm -hmm. And I am very fascinated about the implementation of, of Grinnell. Uh, those, those listening, I do have a whole episode about uh, Grinnell from a coach who played and uh, ran, this, ran the system as a coach. So I, I got to ask about uh, what drew you to that and what what was that like what's the what's the process because that's a whole different way of just coaching or even playing the game of basketball when you're yeah. running Grinnell so what was the Grinnell journey before we get to our concluding segment it it started with and if we're thinking about it it started with skill development in the sense mm -hmm. that you know we had these things that we said that we wanted to be great at and those things I can, I can tell you right now, we said it was three point shooting. It was forcing pace of play and it was creating incredible defensive pressure. And knowing that those were the three things that we said that we wanted to do, looking at the Grinnell system, it played right into that. And knowing that we had spent these last three years developing our, our athletes and we've got comparatively we might have a lower ceiling as far as like our top end talent. Uh, there's nobody on our team that is going to be ranked on anybody's big board per class in the state of Minnesota, because most of our girls don't want to go play college basketball and that's okay. But uh, we also have a pretty high floor because our girls come in, they've worked together. They like being around each other and putting in that time. And so we've got 12 to 14 girls that are serviceable players. And so you know, how do we utilize some of those multi-sport athletes? We've got 11 soccer girls on our varsity roster. I mean, we've got a swimmer, we've got two volleyball players, and we might as well take some of those skills and, and some of that conditioning that's already been built up for a lot of them. And like, let's put it to work here and let's just crank up the dial to a hundred and see if teams that are conventionally more talented than us can play at that pace. You brought it back to something you originally said, right? Zigging while everyone else sags. I think Grinnell is a perfect uh, example of that. That That's something that at the very least I can imagine for coaches who um, aren't too familiar with it, they might have to spend a lot of time in the film room going over that and preparing for that because there's nothing quite like it. No, uh, there is not. I, I had to do my research when I kind of fell down this rabbit hole during the spring and I asked... Um, uh, a couple of our, our top like cover cover guys in the state for girls basketball, Grant McGinnis. Uh, do you know anybody in the state that's running like real Grinnell style basketball? And he said no. And I'm like, great, because we're gonna be the one that is. No, you do. <laughs> no, that's that's fantastic. I, I 
I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to to catching up later and seeing how that went. That that is awesome. And uh, for those listening who are not familiar with what Grinnell is, uh, go in the archives, check out episode 42. It's all about Grinnell. It's a really fascinating listen, and and we talk about it at the college level, also the high school level as well. So, awesome. Uh, Coach, to wrap up, there's a couple questions I ask every guest, so just go ahead and jump right into this first one. Uh, Thinking back on your coaching career, uh, what is a coaching moment that you think others listening would be able to learn from? Um, Other than the one that I have already shared about that uh, our season coming to a halt before Thanksgiving and just kind of that moment of, of gratitude and appreciation for, for the group and for the program, as far as the individuals that comprise it. Um, it, for me, it's it just those moments of relationships. Uh, it's something that's incredibly important to me. Um, and we had one girl that this past year was on our JV team, remarkable young woman, uh, she really struggled with mental health and just kind of finding her place. And, and, you know, she got through the season and she realized that basketball really wasn't for her. And, and she decided to leave our program and uh, we still have a relationship today. And, you know, I still text her and see how she's doing. And as far as just being in her corner, um, you know, that's something that I wanted her to know that it, it goes beyond basketball. Um, and I think that that is something that is just inherently important to me as a, as an educator. And as, as a coach, I know that that's something that you appreciate. And um, I think that sometimes I am as guilty as anybody of being kind of wrapped up in basketball. I'm a basketball junkie, X's and O's film, you know, watching it on, on TV, anything I'm, I consume it all. But the reason why I do this is, is way more about them and the relationships I get to have with them and helping them on their journey, then it has anything to do with what happens on the court. Well, that's like the biggest indicator to that player that you viewed them as more than just a basketball player, right? It'd be really easy for that player to be like, all right, this isn't for me. And it's like, well, that's the last time you and I are ever going to talk, but it kind of was a really good just indicator to that person. Like, Oh, like my coach actually cares about me as a person and is still in touch with me and didn't just completely cut me loose and didn't just see me as a basketball player, which I think is, is probably just for maybe for some would just be like completely mind blowing that this person, you know, actually looks at me as more than just somebody who's dribbling a basketball up and down the court. Yeah, that is, that is awesome. Uh, Coach to wrap up. I give every guest what I call a 60-second soapbox, but I'm not timing you, so feel free to go longer. Uh, This is your platform, your floor to get out, uh, whatever your final idea is, final message, a closing thought, anything that you want to go ahead and leave the listeners with. So I'm going to go ahead and open up the floor to you, and I'm just going to let you take it away, Coach. Well, I appreciate the time, and I just want to appreciate you having me on the podcast. Uh, It's been an awesome experience, and I'm really excited to kind of keep following in and uh, I'm kind of back working my way backwards through episodes. So I haven't gotten to 42 yet. So I'm looking forward to hearing about that, that episode on the Grinnell system. Uh, but for me, if I was to share uh, two things that have made me better, uh, as I said, I, I consume a ton of content. Uh, the coaching culture podcast with JP Newburn and Nate Sanderson is one, regardless of sport that I'd say every coach should listen to. Um, I think it, it does a lot of good and it, it has a, has a, 
has been a great piece for me in my own development. The other one uh, is something that I read over this summer was the Messiah method, seven disciplines of winning um, from the winning a soccer college program in America, a fascinating book. Um, and that was something that I took a ton from as far as kind of creating a standard um, kind of building in some of those pieces that um, you hope kind of get you to that next level. I, I'm fascinated with dynasties. I'm fascinated with teams that have sustained success and kind of pulling from different sports, I think is really healthy. And so this year, you know, this year it was, it was looking at this program at uh, Messiah college and how the men's and women's soccer teams were able to, you know, basically run the table for the early two thousands all the way up until, you know, the last five or six years. Coach, this is awesome. Yeah, this is like the full media and full book recommendation uh, podcast episode as well. So be <laughs> a lot of material now for, for, for us to go back to, including myself. So a lot, a lot of great book recommendations and everything. Awesome. And like you said, there's just so much, so much out there, you know, so much great content and so many people willing to talk and share the game that uh, if, if you love basketball, you love coaching, you don't have a shortage of things to uh, dive into. So I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, speaking of which, Coach, I appreciate you sharing uh, your experience with, with your program about player development, team culture, a whole bunch of aspects. We talked about book recommendations. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun to uh, keep tabs with you and, uh, and, and see how uh, things continue to progress this year. And, and hopefully it's a safe season. Hopefully you're able to have a full season and uh, – Hopefully it is a successful season by whatever metric you're going to use to measure it. So uh, Coach Junker, I want to thank you so much for joining us and best of luck this coming year. Hopefully it's a great one. Thank you so much, Coach. Good luck tomorrow at tryouts. I uh, appreciate the time and look forward to following you as well this season. Much appreciated. And thank you guys so much for listening. This was another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast, and we will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.